Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 527 to be exact. This is a practical show done by a practical host and that is me. Okay, well, here I am, October 18th, 2020. Sorry this is coming out a little bit late, but just a quick reminder... This show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions. I'm using one of their holsters right now. Fantastic products. ConcealmentSolutions.com. I own several. Just got a new one. And um, it's it's a very, very well-made holster by a superb company that is extremely customer service oriented and I don't think that you'll go wrong backed up by a great guarantee and I put my reputation on the line when I recommend Concealment Solutions holsters. Check them out. ConcealmentSolutions.com and you get a 10% discount by using the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD. So this week I'm going to talk about small guns being made bigger Uh, an interesting phenomenon that people in the gun community and manufacturers and owners of of handguns it's an interesting phenomenon that people do they take small guns and they make them bigger usually we don't see people taking big guns and trying to make them smaller uh, on rare occasion but A big fad right now is to take small guns and make them bigger, and I'm not quite sure why. I've done it too, so I'm going to talk about that, and uh, I'm going to kind of throw some of my opinions in there and uh, see what you think about them. So I'll get right into it. If If you take a look at gun manufacturers as a whole... And let's, you know, let's look at some of the major manufacturers. Let's look at Glock and Smith & Wesson and Sig Sauer and Ruger and H&K, Springfield. You know, the major names out there. Most of them made their mark. Most of them, you know, became famous because of their larger handguns their service handguns or their their military provided handguns service pistols things like that those you know glock became famous with with the glock 17 or originally called the p80 um, smith and wesson after a couple of failed attempts in into the uh, semi-automatic handgun uh arena and I think you know a lot of people will argue with me but I think largely at in the beginning Smith and Wesson failed uh, they they just didn't make guns that uh, enough people wanted that worked well enough but now they do the M&P but the M&P got started pretty much became famous as a full-size handgun uh, Springfield you know well known for their 1911 pistols not so well known for semi-automatic striker-fired guns until until they, they bought the uh, Croatian HS2000, is what I believe it was called. And they renamed it and turned it into the Springfield XD and, again, started off as full-size handguns. Sig Sauer, the 220s, the 226s, 
widely accepted by military and law enforcement and special forces units and uh, people like that started off as full-size handguns. Pretty much HKs not really starting off as full-size handguns, but at least achieving their success making full-size handguns, especially striker-fired, even 1911s. You know, 1911s uh, being manufactured, that they became famous, they became successful, they became relevant, they became useful, and they began as what? Five-inch guns, right? Five-inch barreled, full-size, heavy, military-issued handguns and uh, service handguns, even revolvers, uh, fairly large 357 Magnums and 38 Specials. That's I'm not saying that's how these guns got their starts, but it's how they it's how they became famous, became successful, became widely accepted. Then these manufacturers started making smaller and smaller and smaller versions. Which which was that was a good thing. You know, if you owned a full-size Glock, you could all of a sudden then get a Glock 26, which was called the Baby Glock. If you had a full-size M&P, you could get the M&P Compact version of that large M&P pistol. You know, if you had a full-size 1911, you could get the Commander model and then the Officer's model later on down the road and have the same type of handgun just smaller so that it was lighter and easier to carry springfield did the same thing they they came out with the xds models and then smith and wesson went even smaller coming out with the shield even car arms started off with fairly large pistols but you know if you if you think about it about 15 years ago approximately maybe 16 years ago a car pm9 or a cm9 well that was the that was the single stack nine millimeter on the market and that was one of your few choices for a good quality single stack nine millimeter and everybody was buying car pm9s or cm9s including me and they really made a huge splash with the small 9mm guns, didn't they? And some small 45s and small 40 calibers. And of course, now we've got just about all the, the firearms manufacturers making smaller guns. You know, SIG did the same thing when they went to the smaller, uh, first the, the, they went to the smaller 229 and then the 239. Uh, and of course, now they've got the P series of small guns, the 365s and 365XLs, and guns like that. And uh, SIG also with their P238s and 938s, you know, uh, uh, sort of a replica or a, or a similar gun to a, a 1911. 1911 owners really warmed up to the small little SIGs that looked and operated a little bit like 1911s. So all the gun manufacturers went smaller and smaller and smaller, and they kept introducing, you know, and, and look look at uh, look at Keltec with the P3AT, a little pocket-sized 380 that was low price and, you know, very popular, easy to carry. And then Ruger ripped them off, and came out with the LCP. And I'm sorry if I just made somebody mad, but I got to tell the truth. 
Ruger ripped off Keltec with the LCP design. I mean, <laughs> I remember when the, when the Ruger LCP first came out. I owned a Keltec P380 at that time. I had one. And then I got a, a Ruger LCP. And when I got home, I took them both out of the safe. And I, I laid them down on the table. And I looked at both my Keltec P380 and my Ruger LCP. And I and I and it was very hard for me to tell much difference. I took them apart. I couldn't tell much difference. The only difference I could tell is one said Ruger and the other said Keltec. Uh, and maybe the Ruger had a couple of nicer features than the Keltec. Um, my first Ruger LCP was not too much more reliable than my Keltec at that point. Now Ruger eventually evolved that gun and developed better versions of the LCP. And today the Ruger LCP 2 is a fantastic gun. Uh, not quite a striker-fired gun, single action only, I believe. But it's a great little gun. I own one. And, uh, and I like it. And I carry it sometimes. And it's extremely reliable. But, you know, they went to these small guns. And I think the Ruger LCP for a long time became the best-selling gun in America, I believe. And then I think the Smith & Wesson Shield was the best-selling gun in America for quite some time. Now I think the SIG P365 is probably the most popular selling gun in America. Um, and of course when you get into the full size guns or the mid size guns, you know, I think the Glock 19s and the M&Ps and the SIG P320s are probably the most popular selling guns in America. But small guns getting bigger is an interesting phenomenon now. So again, I'm I'm going to I'm going to say it one more time. These companies got very successful. These manufacturers became very successful making smaller versions of bigger guns. Smaller versions of bigger guns. Now it seems like Ruger went the opposite. You know, Ruger hit the market big with the LCP and then they went to the LC9, right? Uh, and then the Security A9, and then the Ruger American. Seemed like they went from smaller to bigger. But most of the manufacturers went from bigger to smaller guns. But now, now there's interesting things going on that uh, I kind of scratch my head and wonder why. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, the SIG P365 is a great example. It's, this is the one that I'll start with. Fantastic gun. As a matter of fact, there's a P365 on my belt right now as I'm dictating this podcast. Terrific gun. It has become my favorite small concealed carry gun. It's not my primary carry, but it's my favorite small gun. And it is. The, the, the 365 is, is truly a small gun. It has decent capacity, 10 plus 1 or... 12 plus 1 if you use the 12 round magazines. It has decent capacity, but it's very small. As a matter of fact, the, the, the P365 I like so much better than my Glock 43 and so much better than my Shield 9mm because the capacity is greater and the size is a lot smaller and lighter. But what's interesting is then, then SIG comes out with the P365XL. 
It's like Glock, right? Glock comes out with the Glock 42. Finally, a small version of a Glock. The Glock 42, single stack, 380. Tiny little gun. Then they come out with the Glock 43, the 9mm version of, of the small, tiny little Glock. So you had your pick. You could get the Glock 42 in 380, or you could get the Glock 43 in 9mm. Small guns. And then what do they do? They got, they got to make them bigger. All of a sudden, they got to make them bigger. Glock goes from the Glock 43 to the Glock 43X. They make a larger version of the 43. SIG. SIG makes a larger version of the 365. That would be the 365 XL. Huh. Shield. Smith & Wesson did the same thing with the Shield. You know, they come out with a nice, fabulous, successful, small gun, the Shield. And, and, and what do they do? They come out with a larger version of the Shield, a 4-inch barrel a, a version of the Shield, Right? And it makes me wonder, why? why? Why do they do that? Because the purpose of a small gun is that it's a small gun, right? That's, that's my opinion. The, pur- the purpose of a small gun is to have a small gun. Isn't it? Isn't that why you get a tiny gun? Isn't that why you get a pocket 380? So you got something that's easy to slide into your pocket in a pocket holster that is unseen by anybody. Okay, the purpose of a small gun like a P365 or a Glock 43 is that you can have a small gun in a major caliber that is extremely easy to conceal, deep concealment. But once you start enlarging the small guns, then you start to get so close to a big gun that don't you defeat the purpose of having a small gun? You know, I mean, what does Glock do with the 43? They extend the grip. They, they lengthen the grip when they come out with the 43X. And then they lengthen the grip and lengthen the barrel when they come out with the Glock 48. Okay? Same thing with SIG. What does SIG do when they come out with the XL, 365XL? They lengthen the grip and they lengthen the barrel. And then they cut it for an optic so you can put a red dot on it. Well, the size of the 365XL is, you know, it's getting close to the to the Glock 19 size pistol. I mean, it's a lot thinner and a little lighter. You know, have you realized that a, that a 365XL is not too much lighter than a Glock 19? Not not a lot. Same with a Glock 48. It's not too much lighter than a Glock 19. All they are is skinnier versions of the larger guns. Now, if you compare a 365 XL to a 320X compact, size-wise, there's not a lot of difference. The 320X compact is heavier and a lot wider, but the profile of the gun is not too much smaller. So why do they take small guns and... And defeat the purpose of them being small guns. That's that's something I could never figure out. And so what here's how this pertains to me, and it might pertain to you in terms of application. And you gotta remember, folks, I'm a salesperson. So I I always think about features and benefits because that's what I present all the time. For those of you who don't know my real job, 
I'm a salesperson. And that's my full-time job. I've been making a, a very healthy living for 32 years in sales. I love it. I, I would never want to do anything else. Uh, I find a product that I like, that I believe in, and I work real hard to sell the feature, advantages, and benefits, and close people on buying my product. you got to be a closer. You can't, you can't be afraid to be a closer. you got to get over the fear factor. One thing I learned from getting real good training when I was young and got started off in sales, the number one reason why people don't close a sale is because of fear. Salespeople sometimes are just too afraid to close. They'll do a fantastic presentation and they'll lay out all the advantages and all the benefits and then they won't ask for the order. They won't ask for the money. They won't ask for the signature. They won't ask for the order. And most of the time, folks, you don't get the order if you don't ask for it. And it's like that with a lot of things in life. But I got sidetracked uh, there, but it's it's kind of it's it's what I've been doing. It's my it's my full time job, and I ask for the order on this podcast. I ask you to take action. Almost every podcast I do, I ask you to take action. And so it it kind of uh, you know it begs the question here as to what are the features and advantages and the benefits of these real small guns? Have you ever wondered what what are they? Well, the fact is, first of all, that it's a small gun. So a small gun, easier to conceal, lighter weight, easier to carry all day long. And it's, it's just better for, typically better for making sure that you Remember to to adhere to rule number one of a gunfight. Rule number one of a gunfight, have a gun. Have a gun. You know, I mean, it's, you know, Tom Givens talks a lot about that. You know, it's, it's, it's probably the number one reason why people either lose a gunfight or, or, or it was a draw because they, they didn't have a gun. Okay, they forfeited. They didn't have a gun. Okay, so that's why they lost. That's why they lost a gunfight. They didn't have a gun. You know, if you have a gun and you have to get into a fight for your life, uh, that's that's the first step. So that's the advantage of a small gun. You have a gun and you got it with you. I've said many times the the big, huge, all steel, forty-five, nineteen, eleven pistol that you keep in your safe does you absolutely no good the minute you walk out of your home. If you don't have it on you, it's it's a useless gun, and I'm not picking on 1911s because the Glock 17 or the Glock 34 that sits in your safe when you leave home is of no use to you. the The only thing those guns are good for is going to the range and they're range toys. They're great competition guns. They're great conversation pieces, and they're great to have fun with you. But they don't save your life unless they are with you when you need them the most. So many people save their lives with little three eighties, with little snub nose revolvers, with small little semi automatic pistols, even small little twenty twos. People have saved their lives with little twenty two uh, handguns. You know why? Because that's what they had. That's what they had with them when the fight went down. So that's one advantage of a small gun. 
and probably the primary advantage of a small gun. You can conceal it better. So if you happen to live in a state in the United States or a country in the world where it's it's a very bad thing if you print, you know, if somebody notices you have a gun, it, it's a it's a bad thing. Okay? I don't we, we don't have that problem much here in Texas. Not much. I mean occasionally, but if somebody sees I'm carrying a gun here in in the great state of Texas where I live now, yeah, most people here don't mind it. They don't mind it. They're probably not going to say anything to me. They're not going to say anything to me. You know, they're not, not going to tap me on the shoulder and say, "Hey, dude, why are you carrying a gun?" And you know my answer, right? <laughs> if they ask me why I'm carrying a gun, um, if you've listened to me long enough, you 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 know what my answer is going to be. But they, I've nobody's ever done that to me. Nobody's ever tapped me on the shoulder asking me why why do I carry a gun. And the reason they've never asked me is probably they don't care or they don't notice it. They don't care and they don't notice. But but if you live in, in some place where they do care, right, they get freaked out if they see you carry a gun and, you know, um, and they do notice it, then that's that's why you want a small gun. That's why you want a tiny P365. It's why you want a, a, a Ruger, uh, Ruger LCP or a car P380 uh, pocket gun that you slide into your pocket, or a snub nose, tiny snub nose revolver that you can hide extremely well. That's why. That's that's the most important benefit. So why make that gun larger? Why why make it larger? Why buy a bigger magazine? Th- this is what gets me. This 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 is what kills me. Okay, people get a small gun, and they buy a bigger magazine. So that they just enlarged the grip. Okay, they just lengthened the grip, which makes it harder to conceal. So they bought that small gun because it's a small gun, and now they want to make it bigger. And my thought is, if you if you have a small gun and you want to make it bigger, why not just carry a bigger gun? People used to do it all the time with a Glock 26. You know, they used to get a Glock 26. And then they used to put magazine extensions on the on the on the magazines to to add one round or add two rounds or even add three rounds. Well, if you buy a 12-round magazine for a Glock 26, put that gun up next to your, your Glock 19 and look at the grip. You, you, the, the length is almost the same, folks. It's almost the same. How about a shield? All right, shield. Smith & Wesson shield. Okay? Smith & Wesson shield with an eight-round magazine has the same grip length as a Glock 19. If you don't believe me, test it out. Put the 8-round magazine in a shield and hold it up to a, a Glock 19 with a, a regular 15-round mag in the Glock 19. The grip is the same length. The grip is the hardest part of the gun to conceal, generally. Okay, SIG P365. Get a 365 XL Put it next to a 365. Notice the significant extra length of the grip. Extra barrel length is not normally a problem. Now, some people claim when they appendix carry that the extra barrel length is a problem. And some people like the extra barrel length when you're appendix carrying. It depends. But the grip, the grip is the part that has the most potential for printing 
especially if you carry inside the waistband, that's what's most likely going to print and that people are going to notice is the grip of your pistol. So why take that beautiful small gun that you got because it's a small gun and make it bigger? You know, I don't. I think it probably didn't even take six hours after the Glock 43 came out for some aftermarket manufacturer to start making bigger magazines for the Glock 43. All right, because Glock only came out with six-round magazines. I mean, if it maybe it took three days, right? <laughs> and and there were all kinds of magazine extenders and larger magazines and everything to make the grip of that Glock 43 longer. Why? And then Glock says, all right, forget it. We don't want the aftermarket getting all this business, right? So we're just going to come out with a Glock 43X, which is the same gun as a Glock 43, but what do they do to make it hold 10 rounds? They lengthen the grip to the same length as a Glock 19. How about that, huh? So they took this nice small gun, the Glock 43. They made it bigger. Here's what I've noticed. Carrying a Glock 43X versus carrying a Glock 19, for me, it's not much different. Um, you know, when I conceal carry, and I carry outside the waistband, folks, outside the waistband, there's not a lot of extra printing going on when I carry a Glock 19 versus a Glock 43X. So I'm thinking to myself, why? Why do I want to do it? Why do I want to carry the Glock 43X? Even the Glock 48, why do I want to carry it? And by the way, now that Shield Arms has these beautiful 15-round well-made magazines for a Glock 48, that's cool. That turns a 10-round Glock 48 into a 15-round a gun. That's cool. That's nice. But it adds significant weight to the gun. Shield Arms was very innovative. They put 15 rounds into a magazine pretty much the same size as the stock 10-round magazines that come with the Glock 48 and 43X pistol. Same size. No difference. They both fit almost flush. But the weight, the weight, an extra 5 rounds of 9mm, it adds some weight. And the Shield Arms magazines are steel. Okay? So... I noticed that the weight of the 48, the, the weight of the Glock 48 as compared to the 19, when I'm carrying it, it's not that much different. I mean, in reality, it is, what, five ounces or something like that? Okay? But that's not that much. Five ounces really isn't all that much. The trade-off to me hasn't been worth it for me. I'd just rather have my Glock 19. Same with the M&P. The M&P uh, 2.0 Compact, okay? The, the first version of the 2.0 Compact, the 4-inch version, which I have. Love it. Fantastic pistol. It's not that much different than carrying a shield with an 8-round magazine. You know, the, the shield's significantly lighter, so for all-day carry, it's more comfortable weight-wise, but size-wise except for the thinness of the shield, not that much. Now, the Sig P365, that's a whole nother animal and a fabulous little gun. 
And I was critical of the P365. In fact, I put out YouTube videos saying that I was not going to buy one right away. That I was going to wait at least a year and I waited almost two years. And I'm very glad I did because I waited for SIG to get rid of some of the early problems with the P365. I waited for that. I didn't want to be one of those early adopters and I didn't want to be a beta tester testing out the guns for SIG. SIG doesn't pay me enough to do that. So I waited. Okay. And I'm glad I did. Fantastic little gun. Now a 365 makes sense. A P365 makes perfect sense. It's small. It's light. The capacity is fairly good. 12 rounds in the magazine plus one in the gun. And uh, if I compare that, for example, to a Glock 19 uh, or something like that, it makes perfect sense. Now, I'm talking about the P365 with a 12-round magazine. Out of the box, it comes with two 10-round magazines. And even in the 10-round configuration, it's got great capacity. Same capacity as a Glock 26, but wow, a lot smaller than a Glock 26. And a lot lighter and much easier to carry and keep it much easily uh, much more hidden than, than something like a Glock 26 or the original MP9 compact. I mean, the SIG P365 just, you know, tears those guns apart when it comes to lightweight concealability. And even now, uh, they're equal in reliability because I've, I've run plenty of rounds through my P365, no problems. So it just begs a question, why do they want small guns to get bigger? Why do the manufacturers want to make small guns bigger? Why do owners want to make small guns bigger? Why can't the owners just leave a small gun a small gun? Why make it bigger? If you want to have a bigger gun, why not just get a bigger gun? I mean, think about it. If you had, let's say, a Glock 42 in 380, if you have a Glock 42... And you want to carry a bigger gun, carry a Glock 19. Or let's say you have a Glock 43. You want to carry a bigger gun, carry a Glock 19. Why try to make your 43 bigger? Why do that? What's the point? Because now you start, pretty soon you're going to make the Glock 43, you're going to extend that magazine and put so many extended base plates on that, that you're going to, you're going to create a grip length the same as a Glock 19. You're going to add more weight to the gun which is going to get closer and closer to the mid-sized gun that you know with the good holsters we have these days and the good belts that we have it's not too difficult to conceal an M&P 2.0 compact or a SIG P320X compact by the way I'm, I'm testing out a P320X compact with a Romeo red dot on it. A good friend, friend of mine let me borrow it. It's in my safe. I went to the range and shot 100 rounds through it. Nice little gun. Really nice. This one has Wilson Combat Grip Module. Ooh, wow. I love the Wilson Combat Grip Module. I think the next episode I'm going to do a, a nice review. I'm doing some first impressions that I'm giving to you right now on the 320X Compact. The Wilson Combat Grip Module is just fantastic. I mean, they even put they even put stippling and texture on the thumb pads where your thumbs should be if you're using like a, 
uh, a combative thumbs forward grip so it gives you a great place to feel an index and put put your thumb there and I think it helps controlling the gun much better too I've stippled my Glock that way my Glock 19 I put a lot of stippling on both sides left and right side of the gun where the thumb rests are the uh, the weak hand thumb and of course if I if I shoot that thing left-handed which I do practice shooting all my guns left-handed then then that thumb has a nice place to to feel and rest right there so uh, the 320x compacts a great gun but I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna carry a 365 XL you know why not just take one more step up and carry a 320x compact I mean you get more rounds in the gun you can put I think a, a, a better red dot on it on the 320x compact you get you just get more more gun and it's not that much more difficult to carry and to conceal and it's more shootable so if SIGs are my thing I'm gonna carry a 365 a regular 365 or a 320x compact I don't think the three the, the 365 XL to me makes much sense that's why I said earlier the Glock 48 doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me I find myself carrying either a Glock 42 or a Glock 43 if I want a small gun or a Glock 19 or a Glock 17 if I want a big gun so for me a small gun's got to be small and a big gun's got to be big medium-sized guns I, I just I, I for me I, I just can't figure out the sense what sense they make for me when analyzing them as concealed carry guns I'm not saying something like a p365xl I'm not saying it's not a good gun I'm not saying a Glock 48 is not a good gun I'm not saying a four inch shield is not a good gun okay I'm not saying that what I am saying is that when it comes to carry concealed carry um, it just doesn't seem to be as practical for me now I, I might change my mind on this I might go the other way I'm not sure they're a little bit more shootable although I tested a 365 XL and a 365 side by side I've text I've uh, I've tested a 43 and a 48 side by side as well and the larger version of the smaller guns they shoot a little bit better but not that much now the main the main the main advantage the primary advantage of a 365 XL is you, you can put a red dot on it it's already cut for a red dot where the 365 is not so one huge advantage Glocks for example a 43 is not cut for a red dot neither is a 43 X neither is a 48 unless Glocks come out with something I don't know about I don't I don't know if they have any optics ready versions of those guns do they now if they do then I guess that's an advantage is you can put a red dot optic on those that are optics ready you could always send away your gun you could send a 43 away to have a red dot put on it or a 43 X or a 48 you could have it just like with any other gun you could send you could send it to somebody extremely professional uh, that does good work like that and have them put a red dot on it and be great but I'm talking about out-of-the-box values that's about the only 
major value, major benefit. Again, I'm thinking salesperson-like. And I'm also thinking as a user, because I do carry a gun every day. So what you hear from me is you hear from me 15 years of practical experience. I've been carrying since 2005. 15 years of practical experience, actually every day, carrying a handgun. And I would either go small or go big. I, I don't particularly care for the medium-sized guns too much. And just some final thoughts on this. When I say a big gun, I mean Glock 19, Glock 17, Glock 34, M&P 2.0, Sig P320 full-size. Even the, even the P320X compact is a, it's a beefy gun. Okay, H and K VP nines, guns like that. That's a that's a full size in my mind. It's a large gun. I don't care what the manufacturer calls it. You know, I don't care that that the manufacturer calls an MP two point oh nine millimeter compact. They call it compact, but it's not really the four inch version is really not all that compact. It's it's just not. I mean. You know, and there's not a whole lot of difference between that gun and the full-size M&P. There's not much. I know some people out there call a Glock 19 a compact gun, but I don't really think that that's a compact gun. I think a 43 or a 42, that's a compact gun. And maybe a 43X might be considered a compact gun. So that's that's the point. That I'm trying to get uh, to make. So again, what's the fascination that people have and that manufacturers have making small guns larger? I don't understand that fascination, and I just I can't figure out the feature advantage in and benefit that makes it that much more worthwhile when I can go to truly a big gun. And have a lot of great benefits. I mean, with an M&P 2.0, 9mm, 4-inch compact, I got 15 rounds plus one in the chamber. I got a very soft-shooting, highly accurate pistol. I can, I can get a red dot put on that thing if I want. M&P has come out with a 2.0 now in the core version combat optics ready isn't that what that stands for combat optics ready equipment or something like that or competition optics ready whatever it is it means that it's cut for a uh, a red dot sig's guns are like that the 320x series so so many great advantages those guns normally have better triggers too the larger guns typically have Better triggers than the small, tiny guns. Same thing with revolvers. Big, bigger revolvers have better triggers than the little snubbies most of the time. Okay, I would like to hear your opinion on this. Remember, I have a voicemail, 210-646-1727. If you want to send me an email, handgunworld at gmail.com. If you want to put a comment on Facebook, uh, or Twitter. I always post uh, listings for every show that I do on social media, at least on Facebook and Twitter. Let me hear your thoughts. I always love to hear from listeners 
Whether you agree with me, disagree with me, that's okay. I'm a big boy. I'm open-minded. I can handle it. Let me hear what you have to say. So, as you know, election time is near in the United States. I have international listeners, and um, this might not matter too much to you. But for people here in the United States, we are going to be voting soon, very soon, as a matter of fact. And I'm going to talk about the Seventh Amendment of the United States Constitution, part of the Bill of Rights. For the last several weeks, I've been picking each amendment in order and talking about the first ten amendments, which is commonly called the Bill of Rights, because you need to know what you're voting for. You need to know what you're voting for. You need to know what you need to preserve. And and the Constitution, we've got to preserve it, folks. We've got to keep it. So I've talked about Amendments 1 through 6. I'll be finished after I talk about the 10th Amendment, which will just be a few days before Election Day. So the 7th Amendment of the United States Constitution, it says, In suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of a trial by jury shall be preserved. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of common law. Now, in simple terms, uh, let me just uh, explain. The Seventh Amendment was the part of the Bill of Rights, and it was added December 15, 1791. And basically, this protects the right to a trial by jury. And what it really means, what it in, in simple terms, okay, an example of the Seventh Amendment. The right to a jury trial applies to cases brought under federal statutes that prohibit race or gender discrimination in housing or employment. Okay? But importantly, the Seventh Amendment guarantees the right to a jury trial in federal court. So it means you're not tried by judges. You know, you're not tried by politicians. You're tried by a so-called jury of your peers. Okay? And it, it protects that right that you have so that you you know, so that we don't have a banana republic, so that you have to go through part of due process, which is a, a trial in some cases, in some cases, a trial by jury. Now, I'm not sure about the $20 requirement. I don't know if that's still applicable today or what. Maybe if somebody could enlighten me about that, I'd appreciate it. Call in a voicemail, 210-646-1727. But I'll put a link in the show notes. Another writer basically wrote that the Seventh Amendment guarantees the right to a civil jury trial. Okay, to put it simply. The right of a trial by jury shall be preserved. Okay, now this jury of your peers thing. Let's talk about that. You know, you've you've commonly heard jury of your peers. I said this last week and I'll say it again. You don't always get a jury of your peers. At least you get a jury though. At least you get 12 people that uh, that decide on the case. And so you've got a chance to properly defend yourself. Um, or if you're if you're suing somebody, you have a proper way to be able to make your case as to why you're prosecuting them but I don't think you're always going to get totally a jury of your peers I mean think about it I talk about guns on this program I talk about using a, a handgun in particular or even a, a long gun in self-defense well I doubt 
that all 12 people on that jury are going to be pro-gun people, okay? And they would be your peers. If they were pro-gun and they believed in the Second Amendment and they believed in your right to own and possess a gun for many reasons, not just self-defense, but the preservation of a free state, as the Second Amendment really say, really states, if, if people really were on your side, then they would be a, a jury of your peers. Then the decision that they would make was, were you justified in using that gun? But they're not really your peers. As a matter of fact, I bet most of the 12 are not going to be as much of a Second Amendment advocate as you are. Some may be, but I think it's likely the majority will not. So they're going to have to be convinced. They're probably going to have to be convinced, number one, that you even have a right to own a gun for the Second Amendment purposes. And then they're going to have to be convinced that you were justified in using it. So there's an example of how I don't really believe in the jury of your peers argument. I really don't believe that that's 100% true. Um, and, and of course, you know, both sides, both lawyers, both teams of lawyers can manipulate the jury in many ways, starting with jury selection. During jury selection, they can they can manipulate who sits on that jury and decides the case, and in some cases, who decides the sentencing. But anyway, that's the seventh amendment is basically guarantees that in in some cases you get a trial by jury which is part of uh, your due process and then of course sometimes you know juries are tainted by the court of public opinion and we see this a lot in second amendment self-defense cases especially where the court of public opinion uh, almost decides the case even before it's brought to a jury because of the out-of-control media that we have and just because, also because the ignorance of people. I, I think, and I don't mean this to sound bad, uh, I think the ignorance of the American people is growing larger and wider every year. And I don't mean ignorance as a as a derogatory term. Some people use ignorant as a derogatory term. I don't. I don't mean it that way. Ignorance means lack of knowledge. It means you don't know. It's not really derogatory that you don't know something. It's just a fact that you don't know. And there's a lot of uh, ignorant people that just don't know. In fact, some of them don't know what they don't know, right? So they're ignorant. I'm not calling them names. I'm not using a derogatory term. I'm just stating a fact. And... Um, so you, you may have a lot of ignorant people that just don't understand what's really going on or what the premise of the case really is. So, again, if you want to differ with me or, or give me a different opinion on that, tell me what you think about my, my opinion or my argument on jury of your peers. you got a right to a jury, but I don't think it's always going to be of your peers. Okay, to finish up with some modern-day survivalism, because we are close to an election, I'm going to talk about it. Part of being a, a good survivalist is to take part in your government. Uh, in America, that's the way it's set up in the United States of America. That this is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's the way it is supposed to be. 
And I, I think you're not fulfilling your duty or you're not fulfilling, you're not being a, um, what am I saying? I don't believe you're being a responsible citizen and, and you're not doing a good, good enough job of being a good modern survivalist if you don't exercise your right to vote. If you don't go out and speak your voice about your government. When it's time for you to vote and speak your voice and let your voice be heard about your government and about how things that affect your life are run, if you don't do that duty, I don't think you're being a very good um, survivalist. And you know, the thing is, I don't think you're being very well prepared either. It always frustrates me when people complain and complain. And if I ask them the question, well, who did you vote for? And they say, well, I didn't vote. What do you mean you didn't vote? I like to say, what do you mean? What are you talking about you didn't vote? Why are you complaining if you didn't vote? Well, I didn't like the choices. Well, you don't always get everything you like in life, okay? I mean, you know, some people just amaze me. They think that everything has to be the way they want it. And if it doesn't work out the way they want it, well, I'm just not going to play the game, they say. I'm going to pick up my toys and I'm going to go home because I don't like the way the game is being played. Sometimes, folks, you got to play the game. And you have to exert your influence and play the game. And if everybody plays the game, then there's going to be an outcome that probably the majority want. And so many times when it comes to voting, there's an outcome that the majority didn't want. And when I say the majority didn't want is because so many people sat at home. So many people who could have decided the election stayed home. They didn't, they didn't participate. They didn't go out and let their voice be heard. But yet they complain because it's not working out the way that they wanted it to work out. Well, do something about it. That's what I'm saying. Do something about it. I try to keep this a family-friendly show with, without any bad language. But uh, as my dad used to say, and a lot of people used to say, you know, crap or get off the pot. I mean, you, you do something about it. And that's... That's part. So you you need to please please go vote please, and and I'm not going to try to tell you how to vote. I think you know who I voted for. By the way, I already voted. I already voted. I voted the second day of early voting, uh, about four or five days ago. I already voted. So I think you know how I voted. I think you know who I voted for. But at least I did it. I went there. And if you go vote for anybody, uh, I don't care. If you vote for Trump, if you vote for Biden, if you vote for a third party, I don't care who you vote for. And also, vote in your local elections. Vote for your governor, vote for your state representatives and your state senators and your mayors and your city council men and women and your dog catchers and your garbage collectors or your school board people or whoever it is that you get a chance to vote for. Your judges, county judges whatever, clerks, tax assessors, you know, even even the ballot questions. Answer those too. Vote on those too. Take part in your government or don't complain. You don't always get perfect choices. You don't get exactly what you want, you know, or all the choices that you want. Welcome to life. Welcome to just the way things happen in life. Um, and I think you're going to have a tough life if every time the game is not being played the way you want it to be played and you don't participate 
and you act like a child and go home and quit playing the game well then then I then I think that you're you have a greater chance of of not achieving your goals because also it, there's a fulfilling part of doing your duty the politicians you vote for may not end up being what you thought they were okay I get that most of the time when you vote for them they don't end up being the exactly the way you thought they were going to be but there's something fulfilling inside of you that that makes you feel like you know you did something and you can be proud of yourself and it helps formulate who you are when you go there and you you speak your voice at the voting booth okay so go do it november 3rd in the united states or before take advantage of early voting and uh, oh wow you know we've <clears throat> we've got mail in voting in some places um i'll just say i don't completely agree with mail in voting except in very rare circumstances but if you have to mail in vote then mail in vote okay just vote well that's it for episode 527 i'm bob main thanks for listening to another episode of the handgun world podcast a practical show done by a practical guy that is me remember evil does not exist in the holster it exists in the hearts of men and women shoot straight shoot safe read your bible every day and i'll talk to you next week goodbye